Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Right now, the university is going through their PR machine. They probably hired one of the largest law firms in the world to defend them. And they're trying to strategize how to mitigate our damages, how to protect our brand, rather than how to be transparent and accept accountability for decades of institutional failures. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. The subject of this week's show hits home for me in a couple of ways. It is the burgeoning hazing scandal at Northwestern University. It hits home for me because Northwestern is my alma mater. It also hits home for me because I am a former sports writer who covered men's football, basketball, and tennis for the Daily Northwestern, which disclosed important details of this scandal that prompted University President Michael Schill to do an about-face and change what was a two-week suspension of head football coach Pat Fitzgerald into a firing. We have two guests this week. Both are attorneys who have filed the first two John Doe lawsuits against Northwestern in this case. Patrick Salvi and Parker Steiner. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much and good morning. Yesterday in Chicago, we had dueling press conferences of the legal variety. Both of you held one of those news conferences. The other was held by well-known civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who presented a large group of Wildcat football players who described the abuse they took. At your news conference, there were no players. Why not? Why haven't the two victims described in the two lawsuits that you have already filed been willing to step forward by name? Instead, they're John Doe. Parker? Well, I think that's a wonderful I think that's a wonderful question. You know, for me, I've represented hundreds of survivors of sexual abuse, harassment, discrimination, and hazing, both with Larry Nasser survivors and University of Michigan survivors. But again, what I can share with you is these people are extremely fearful of the University of Retaliation. Um, they have a number of different traumas that they're sorting through right now with guilt, shame, embarrassment, and humiliation. So there's a lot of reasons why individuals want to remain as John or Jane Doe's. And as attorneys, we're just proud of individuals that are willing to come forward in whatever capacity they feel safe. So at this point, with the lawsuits that have been filed, we wanted to protect our clients. They've already been subjected to abuse by a university, by athletic department, by coaches and teammates. And why subject them to any more abuse if they didn't feel safe with coming forward with their identities? 
I do anticipate throughout the course of this case that we will represent individuals that are willing to come forward. And I'm grateful for our court system that allows individuals to be protected as John and Jane does under these types of cases. Patrick, what do you think? Uh, will this turn into a class action lawsuit, which is where the big money comes that defendants dread? So uh, a class action lawsuit is typically when the harms to the class of plaintiffs are very similar, uh, much more similar than what's going to be in these types of cases. And so the classic example of a class action lawsuit is some sort of financial harm where a credit card company does something uh, improper uh, that uh, ultimately charges many, many of their clients $100, something uh, like that. Uh, whereas here, each individual suffered a different harm, uh, different sports, different time frames, different specific incidences, different damages in terms of how it affected each individual plaintiff. So this isn't going to be a class action, but we fully in, uh, expect this to become what's otherwise called as a mass action or a mass tort where there are many, many, many individual plaintiffs with individual suits, where there ends up being some sort of consolidation uh, amongst them, uh, probably sought by the defendant, uh, and then ultimately uh, discovery proceeds uh, on behalf of all the cases. But that is different than a class action. Uh, and certainly each individual case uh, in our estimation has significant damages. So the fact that it's not a class doesn't change that. Parker, Ben Crump claims to have fielded calls from 50 former Northwestern football players, as well as athletes from the baseball and softball teams. That's women's softball, the team that almost made it to the College World Series this year and has been good for quite a while. Was this kind of hazing, sexual abuse, racial discrimination going on in women's sports as well, including lacrosse and volleyball with long histories of winning? I mean, it sounds like a macho thing that goes on, but surely women are not above this kind of behavior. No, absolutely. And at this point, you know, Pat and I represent dozens of individuals. We've talked to more than a few dozen individuals, and it's widespread across the entire athletic department. And what we're learning is this wasn't just a football program issue or a Coach Fitzgerald issue. This was a culture that was tolerated, enabled, and protected amongst all the sports at Northwestern. So we've spoken with lacrosse, volleyball, cheerleading, uh, softball, a number of different sports. And what I think that we will see over the next couple of days, weeks, and months is just the problem amongst the athletic department was so tolerated that all of these sports programs permitted it and conducted it. And sadly, to your question, I mean, this... This influenced women's sports, perhaps even more than it did men. We've spoken to several women, and the events that took place, the hazing, the harassment, it's just as disgusting as I've ever seen, and that's having represented individuals that were abused by Larry Nasser as well as Dr. Robert Anderson at the University of Michigan. So what, what did the women do, and how much more widespread was it in their sports? Uh, and it's not so much what did they do to each other. It was also perpetuated by coaches. Um, one thing that we really cannot do, uh, and, and 
perhaps at a later date, is get ahead of our clients or get ahead of people that have contacted us, not yet retained us, but yet shared stories, uh, and perhaps will retain us uh, in the near future. And so uh, it's hard for us to get nitty-gritty into specifics. Um, but what we do know is that within the volleyball program, the incident was so bad that the rest of the, I believe it was 2021 season was canceled. And you can find that. And what you'll also find, which uh, goes along with what Parker was just saying as it related to the institutional and athletic department culture that permeated across sports, is that the reasoning for the remainder of the season having been canceled in women's volleyball was very hush-hush. Uh, that was not well publicized. Uh, so we have multiple incidents uh, that we've become aware of within the volleyball program, softball program, and just yesterday lacrosse. Um, and, and unfortunately, I don't think it's going to end there. And to Parker's point, it's because ultimately in any organization, the fish rots from the head. And when uh, at the top levels, things aren't being done, uh, people are acting as fixers, uh, people are behaving as though what these student-athletes are going through aren't nearly as important as protecting the Northwestern brand. That's when this stuff goes on for a long time and ends up going on in more than just the football program. Well, Pat, what do you mean by fixers? Are you talking about, who are you talking about? Are you talking about Pat Ryan, the billionaire donor who is the daddy Warbucks of Northwestern? Uh, well, we're going to see where the evidence leads through discovery, but what I'm really talking about is the manner in which the university would respond to complaints. It's not as though these uh, student-athletes merely uh, 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 were hazed, abused, discriminated against, and uh, never tried to speak up. I mean, for many reasons, there were people that didn't speak up. Uh, for fear of retaliation, because we've also heard stories of retaliation. People who were benched had scholarships revoked. And so uh, there's that fear of retaliation. And then people that did speak up, uh, whether it was retaliation or just not being heard, that would happen all of the time. And so in order to check the boxes and try to uh, continue to perpetuate this culture, uh, you had people within the general counsel's office, within the athletic department, uh, that would make sure uh, the Northwestern brand didn't get uh, harmed. Uh, but unfortunately, here we are today. Uh, and I really think the a, a very prime example is the cancellation of the remainder of the volleyball program, or uh, not program, but the season. Parker, uh, do you have any evidence that Pat Ryan was a heavy hand behind all this? His name is on the stadium. He wants the stadium redo. He's donated the money for it. He was a huge backer of Pat Fitzgerald. You know, at this time, we're still learning more day by day. And ultimately, like Pat shared, a lot of evidence is going to come out through litigation. What I will say is everything that we're hearing um, tells us that amongst the athletic department, and as we're all aware, the athletic department is led by prominent donors, whether directly or indirectly. The athletic department tolerated a culture, like I said, of sexual abuse, harassment, hazing, and discrimination. Um, I think through discovery, we will learn who exactly knew, what they should have known, and what they did about it. So at this point, I can't make that direct statement, but 
my belief is this is going to go even higher than the athletic department up the ranks with all, probably up to the president of the university and possibly with prominent alumni. And you're not willing to name names of those prominent alumni. I mean, the most prominent of all is Pat Ryan. And I appreciate that and understand that, but no, at this point, I'm not willing to name names. Let's describe some of the abuse that you've been able to uncover. So people who haven't been paying attention or as much as we have know what we're talking about. What was the abuse, Patrick? Sure. So uh, there have been reported abuse and uh, really what would be described as hazing, but also uh, uh, overlaps with what would be considered sexual abuse within uh, the football program, hazing that included acts of, uh, uh, and it's hard to say, uh, quite frankly, but acts of dry humping where, uh, you know, uh, younger players were, were bare naked and being dry humped by older players. Instances of racial discrimination where in certain position rooms, for example, uh, the racial minorities, uh, Latino players, black players, were discriminated against by uh, position coaches and by uh, fellow players within the position uh, uh, room. Uh, so we've heard a number of instances in that regard. Uh, where African-American players were forced to cut their hair or otherwise have to go to uh, study hall very early in the morning uh, and, and otherwise physically uh, abused. And there's been stories out of uh, uh, Camp Kenosha, uh, where they do camp before the season starts, uh, where it was like a free-for-all in terms of uh, uh, what took place in the shower and, and uh, various acts that are, are just hard to describe where we're talking about uh, sexualized, forced behavior uh, that uh, wouldn't be tolerated by any of the parents of these young kids that sent their kids to Northwestern thinking that they'd be protected and receive the outstanding education uh, and then on the female side, we've heard of horrible hazing incidences that led to severe depression and mental health issues uh, uh, and even forcible rape that went reported and then ultimately not acted upon, followed by retaliation. Just really unbelievable uh, uh, stories, not, not only as it relates to the acts itself, but also as it relates to any reporting of the acts and reaction to it, uh, whereas an athletic department doing what they're supposed to be doing, it would get rooted out, <clears throat> it would be nipped in the bud, people would lose their jobs, uh, other students would be kicked off teams, but instead the abused would be forced to continue playing with their abusers, to continue to be coached by their abusers, and told to just suck it up without any sort of change um, uh, or just other support. Uh, so, I mean, uh, the, the stories are vast and, and cover so many sports that it's really been uh, a shock to the system for, for me. Forcible rape, one woman player to another or a coach to another? What, what are we talking about here? Forcible rape by who or, on who? Sure. Yeah, right. Well, again, the, 
the nitty gritty details of who on who is something I can't share right now. I can tell you that a uh, an athlete, a student athlete reporting rape that ultimately did not get uh, any support thereafter and instead uh, uh, was retaliated against. Rape by a fellow player or a coach? Uh, I don't have information about a coach. Okay, so one female player raped another and... Uh, no, I wouldn't characterize it that way, but Fran, at this point, I can't get ahead of my clients. Uh, well, so I've told you pretty, as much as I can. That's a volatile allegation. Well, well, who raped who? Was it two members? Fran, I'll address it. Sexual assault within the athletic department. Sexual assault from one teammate to another and possibly sexual assault um, from a member of the staff onto a player. That's the extent of what we can share. That sounds like the Blackhawks situation. Well, it sounds, unfortunately, like a lot of these mega institutions have put profits before people protect their brand over their students. The way President Michael Schill handled this scandal is probably an example that will be talked about for years when crisis managers talk about how not to handle an unfolding scandal. On July 7th, he got a report from Maggie Hickey, who happens to be the consent decree monitor for the Chicago Police Department. She had been hired to investigate a November complaint of hazing from a student athlete at Northwestern. And she gave her summary of her report, which is the only thing the university has chosen to release so far. And she reported that participation and knowledge of the hazing was widespread on Pat Fitzgerald's football team, the one he had run for 17 years and largely supported by the evidence with complaints dating all the way back to 2014. Based on that summary, apparently, Schill decided to suspend Fitzgerald with pay, without pay for two weeks and no longer allow the team to hold its training camp in Kenosha. That punishment was really like sending your kid to his room for five minutes and saying, then go out to play. It was a slap on the wrist of the highest order. And then the next day, my alma mater, the Daily Northwestern, the student newspaper, reported that two players had described the humiliating hazing. What was Fitzgerald, I mean, uh, what was Schill acting on when he ordered the two-week suspension, or was it simply a cover-up? What do you think, Parker? That's a wonderful question. Um, and sadly, the playbook that Northwestern is following is the same as we've seen at USC, at Ohio State, at Michigan State, and University of Michigan, as well as Penn State. seems to be a Big Ten issue here. And they're scrambling right now. He had to make an immediate PR-related move. That's what led to the suspension. But the reality is the university, and I think they'll continue to do this, sadly, until Pat and I lead the charge of prosecuting this case, but they're going to refuse to be transparent. Um, We see that already by them issuing a a one-and-a-half-page executive summary that gives us no guidance as far as what the true investigation uh, unraveled. And one of the things that Pat and I requested yesterday is that Northwestern is transparent and that they release to the public, to their alumni, to their faculty, to their students that were abused, the complete unedited investigation. 
Because I can promise you, as soon as the Office of General Counsel gets her hands on that report, there's going to be some redlining going on. But to your question, um, obviously there was something within the investigation that they knew that was going to come out that far surpasses the you know 11 bullet points from the executive summary leading to the termination. Right now, the university is going through their PR machine. They probably hired one of the largest law firms in the world to defend them. And they're trying to strategize how to mitigate our damages, how to protect our brand, rather than how to be transparent and accept accountability for decades of institutional failures. Now, Pat, uh, Pat Fitzgerald has hired Dan Webb, the legal bulldog, uh, to defend him and enforce his 57 million 10-year contract. He has denied that Fitzgerald either knew about or condoned or participated in any of this hazing, discrimination and abuse. What proof do you have that Webb is wrong other than the fact that Pat Fitzgerald should have known because most college football coaches are micromanagers? Sure. Well, I mean, you don't really do not have to look any further than what uh, we've heard from various uh, football players who have who have uh, spoken to the press uh, through the student newspaper, uh, through the Chicago Tribune, uh, what we saw in the uh, later press conference uh, yesterday. Uh, so we've we've heard about the stories, and uh, these are not. Uh, these are not things that take place, uh, you know, in, in the dark of night where the coach would have no awareness of them. Uh, I think just common sense tells you that. But in addition, uh, we've talked to uh, plenty of clients uh, who would raise it with Pat Fitzgerald, who address it directly with Pat Fitzgerald. And so... Um, and what did he uh, say? Pat Fitzgerald... To, to, what well, did he they, say when it, they did? It, it clearly... It, well, it clearly wasn't addressed. Uh, it wasn't addressed. He didn't put an end to it. Uh, it continued. Uh, and so that's why they're speaking out now. Uh, and, th- and thankfully they are because it's allowing people of the past to come forward. And, and so when you have people that have come forward who played during the beginning of Pat Fitzgerald's tenure all the way through to now, uh, the suggestion that he didn't know about it is is really hard to believe. Now, we're going to follow the evidence, right? So we're going to be gathering documentation. We're going to be taking depositions. We're going to be asking a lot of questions to a lot of people. And I think uh, when it all uh, shakes out, uh, I find it very unlikely uh, that it won't prove that Pat Fitzgerald did know about this. Now, why is that important? Is it because Pat Fitzgerald... Uh, is uh, public enemy number one uh, here? No, not at all. He played at Northwestern back in the he 90s. He was a beloved figure, a beloved figure. He to, was the to, leader of that to, team that went to the yeah. Rose Bowl, even though he didn't play in it. He was an All-American linebacker. He 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 filled the hole when when the when Randy Walker had his fatal heart attack. I mean, he's beloved. He's been there 17 years. He was the face of that program. Absolutely. He was an assistant coach before that. And, and of course, as a player, he was not only an All-American, but a two-time national player, uh, defensive player of the year. Uh, and so he has been within the Northwestern culture for as long as anybody. And he was coached by Gary Barnett. And Gary Barnett uh, had a very acrimonious uh, end to his 
uh, coaching career at the University of Colorado, where horrible allegations came out, ultimately leading to his firing. And he made incredibly insensitive comments about a female kicker. Kicker, uh, I remember that, back, yes. Yeah, this is going back to 2003, 2004. And, and so uh, that was... Uh, you know, we, we're not going back to the Barnett days, but uh, we're starting to connect some dots here as to the type of culture that perhaps Pat Fitzgerald, as a 19, 20, 21-year-old, learned was appropriate. But at the end of the day, uh, you ha- you don't just have the football coach. You have above the football coach, the athletic department, when these incidents of abuse and discrimination are being reported and they're not acted on, rather swept under the rug. There's retaliation. When things like that happen and people are essentially silenced, intimidated and bullied from coming forward, it's still happening to this day. People are criticizing our clients for filing as a John Doe. Uh, We know because our clients have told us that certain people within the university are calling around trying to discourage players from coming forward. And so what we have here is finally a watershed moment where we can put an end to this. I would imagine that you as a Northwestern alum would like to put an end to this. I grew up in this area. I've always had the highest regard for Northwestern. That's why I said earlier, I'm shocked by these allegations. And I want Northwestern uh, to be able to put this uh, behind them, but only by affecting incredibly widespread change and ensuring that the people that have been harmed are ultimately made whole from that harm. And frankly, the only way to do it, if doing the right thing isn't uh, good enough, if that's not enough, to do the right thing for its own sake, uh, then sometimes we have to come in and use the civil justice system to ensure that Northwestern and other institutions like it do the right thing. That's through not only compensatory damages, but punitive damages to deter Northwestern and others from this type of conduct. Parker, my late husband used to tell me about the hazing and abuse and discrimination that he endured at Fort Benning, Georgia, while he was going through basic training in the Army. We've seen it in fraternities, the macho culture. How do you stop something like this? Surely Northwestern is not the only school where this is happening. Even now, when the world has changed and our tolerance level for this kind of thing has gone way down. Well, the sad reality is we'll never be able to stop a single bad actor. There's always going to be bad people. But we can stop the institutions that enable these bad actors, that employ them, that protect them. And amongst the athletic department, every single year, there are hundreds of young individuals that these bad actors were giving unfettered access to to abuse, to harass, haze, discriminate against. So to your question, as far as putting an end to it, certainly through civil litigation, through consequences, hitting them where it hurts, we can stop and scare institutions that have enabled and protected these bad actors. But something that Pat just touched down on that's so important is sadly with, or not sadly, but within sports, especially D1 collegiate sports, How many of these athletes go on and whether as a full-time job or out of enjoyment, go on to coach youth sports, high school sports, or even at the collegiate level? And if they don't know that the conduct that they experienced is wrong, they're going to continue that for the next generation. So I think it's a two-fold approach that one, we are trying to 
uh, prevent institutions going forward from allowing this conduct, allowing bad actors to get away with it, and then two, trying to educate the public, young individuals that may go on to be in these roles a decade from now, educate them that what's going on isn't the norm, that this isn't just male-on-male, tough guy, you know, teasing that should be accepted, that it's assault, that it's abuse, that it's discrimination, that it's teasing. Racial discrimination is never tolerated. And it's what not will okay, it take to like, settle this case out of court? That's the thing that all defendants want to do. Look at what Fox did in terms of the uh, Dominion oh. case, shelling out hundreds of yep. millions of dollars to avoid the embarrassment of discovery in a trial and so on. What will it take to settle this case so, out of court? That, that, that's not what we're looking to do right now. Pat and I are litigators. We're trial lawyers. And based on Pat's $363 million verdict last year, that shows that he is a true trial lawyer. We aren't just here to put on a show and reach a quick settlement. We're here to initiate change and represent our clients how they see best fit. And that's going to require us to pull out all the skeletons from the closet. That's what these survivors deserve. That's what faculty and alumni deserve and the public deserves. So when we file suit, we aren't doing it for publicity. We're doing it to begin the litigation process, leading to a trial and accountability. What impact will this have on my alma mater long-term, Pat? Parents everywhere, even of kids who are not student athletes, could say to themselves and their kids, if that school can't protect its pampered student athletes on scholarship, I don't want my son or daughter to apply to a school that dares to charge something like 80 grand a year for tuition and room and board and other expenses. This could impact donations. This could impact the faculty and otherwise sterling reputation of a school that is known for the strength of its research. And Shill had a very important plan for that. His reputation has been severely damaged to the point where people are calling for his resignation. What is the likelihood of the fallout for this once esteemed university, Pat? Sure. Well, to, to use an analogy, um, one of the reasons I remember the Gary Barnett days at the University of Colorado so vividly is because I was a student there at that time. Mm. And what I knew at that time was that the football program would be generationally damaged by what occurred. And I was right. Uh, but what happened uh, over the last 20 years uh, now, uh, after being very bad for a long time, uh, they hired a very high profile coach. Uh, who brings an attitude of, of uh, work ethic and wants to make young men into uh, men that can go out into, into the world with a great work ethic and a great um, uh, moral compass. And so maybe uh, that's the turnaround that they need for the football program. So let's analogize that to the school. Uh, sooner than later and quickly, uh, they need to figure out how they can completely root out this culture of toleration, uh, how they are able to uh, allow these types of things to go on uh, without uh, consequences. Uh, with respect to this litigation, we're going to see how this all plays out. The way Parker described it was spot on. And so I think that Northwestern's approach going forward from this day forward is going to define uh, whether or not they can rebound from this 
quickly or if it's going to take some time. Because as I've said before during the course of this interview, um, uh, I'm not alone in considering Northwestern an outstanding academic institution. And no doubt, this is why the faculty has been demanding more transparency, because I think the faculty understands and respects that this behavior cannot be tolerated, that it likely has been tolerated for a long time, and that now it's having a negative impact on the university as a whole, which none of them want. And Parker, before we let you go, I'd like to know how this compares to what happened at Michigan State, which seemed to be almost infinitely worse to me than Larry Nasser, how he preyed on these female gymnasts. How does it compare? What lessons did you learn from that that you're taking here? Yeah, and I, I don't like to use, you know, or compare uh, the traumas that the individuals sustain because certainly what happened at, Larry, or at Michigan State with Larry Nasser um, is as disgusting and wrong as possible with him preying on young individuals and sexually assaulting them. But I don't like to compare uh, the harms that someone has, whether it's racial discrimination, hazing, or whatnot, because what we know from studies and science is the traumas of any type of abuse can result in PTSD, anxiety, depression, substance abuse. And sadly, that's something that we're hearing now from these individuals we're talking to as they begin to accept the shock of what took place. Probably for a long time, they were in denial, but we've talked to people that have self-harmed themselves because of the events that took place. But that being said, um, you know, sadly, there's there's similar comparisons as far as the abuse that people sustained, but on a far greater level. What's going on at Northwestern far exceeds that of any academic institutional case that I've ever seen or been involved with. If you look at the cases I referenced, beginning with Sandusky or Dr. Tyndall at USC, Nassar at Michigan State, Anderson at University of Michigan, those cases were one bad actor in which a university knew or should have known about the conduct and failed to take appropriate action. Here, we have an entire athletic department and probably university that enabled this conduct, and it wasn't just one bad actor. So I suspect and anticipate, as we dig deeper into this case, that the events that took place at Northwestern and ultimately, the number of claimants that come forward far exceed that of any academic institutional case that we've seen in the history of the United States. And oh, we boy. fully intend to prosecute this case and hold them accountable. And, you know, I, I know at least at this point, there's no attorneys involved in this case that have the experience that Pat and I have of holding academic institutions accountable and reaching historic resolutions in Cook County. Well, we will watch with great interest and dismay, really, for me anyway. Pat uh, Salvi and Parker Steiner, thank you so much, and good luck to you with your pursuit of uh, justice for these victims, and we will see you all next week. 